right, we will get started. Well, first of all, thank you to our customers and other uh, potential customers that are joining us today and other people of the Carter organization, along with some associates that we have down in Mexico and also at the border uh, with the Hitachi organization. Uh, today, we got Carlos Sesma. Uh, Carlos Sesma is a partner in the firm of Sesma Sesma McNichols. Is that correct, Carlos? McNeese. McNeese. Um, and they have offices in Mexico, Mexico City, and also in Cadetro. Uh, they have five partners, 35 associates uh, within their organization. They specialize in transportation law. Uh, so during this process, as as uh, the Mexico was uh, taking a look at this Mexico law, we reached out to Carlos. Carlos has, uh, his father is very close to this also and has been giving him updates as to how this has progressed throughout and Carlos and his firm have been staying very, very close to it. So with that being said, I am going to uh, flip this over to Carlos to go through uh, the contents of where we're at today as far as this Mexico regulation and then answer questions for the participants and the members that are on the phone uh, if there are questions as to uh, how we move forward. At the end of the presentation, I will communicate back how the Carter team is planning on moving forward in the next two to three months to gain full compliance with this law. So with that, Carlos, I'm going to turn the table over to you. Well, today we're going to be talking a, about a, uh, a, a, very, a, a very complex new regulation that has been coming out in the last uh, few months. And I'm going to try to go through it as clearly as possible. However, any any doubts or anything, please feel free to interrupt or we can talk about it uh, immediately after the presentation. So what we're going to be talking about is the CFDI of income or transfer. So CFDI of income or CFDI of transfer and complement bill of lading. And the content of this presentation is up to date based on the last anticipated version of the third resolution of modifications to the miscellaneous tax resolutions for 2021. So, and that's the latest uh, uh, information that we have. And in order for us to, to dive into this, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, about what this is. So a CFDI in Mexico, first of all, is a digital tax receipt. A digital tax receipt, which is basically a, a, uh, a, a document that is issued electronically uh, with any invoice that is issued in Mexico to uh, document a transaction and this is uh, issued again on an electronic means and immediately uh, in the tax authorities uh, databases so every formal transaction that is electronically invoiced in Mexico all of the invoices in Mexico need to be electronic um, have a digital tax receipt uh, established and the so, so this, the specificity of this is that this is a great tool for the tax authorities to be able to assess the transactions that take place on a day-to-day -day in Mexico. And we're going to talk about, for this regulation, what a CFDI of income and a CFDI of transfer means. And also, we're going to be talking about a complement bill of lading that will need to be attached to a CFDI of income now uh, for any transportation service in Mexico. And um, about the, the, uh, the, the reason why we're gonna be talking about an anticipated version. Uh, in Mexico, tax laws and regulations are uh, modified uh, by the tax authority constantly over the year through 
what's called the miscellaneous regulations. The miscellaneous regulations or miscellaneous tax uh, resolutions are issued off and on with no necessary periodicity by the tax authorities in order to clear out and interpret and uh, establish clearly what the, uh, what the content of the tax laws in Mexico are and the interpretation of the tax authorities to those specific laws. And these uh, uh, resolutions that are issued off and on over the year uh, have been focusing on uh, these new documents that will now fiscalize and, and, and document each and every uh, transportation move uh, in Mexico. So uh, recently there's been a first resolution of the modifications to the miscellaneous tax resolution for 2001 that was published in the official uh, Gazette in Mexico, therefore making it uh, a, a law, a regulation that's applicable. Um, there was a second resolution and that second resolution was also published in the official uh, Gazette in Mexico, making it an applicable law and regulation. And there's a third resolution, which has only been published in the tax authorities webpage. At this juncture, it's not yet. We're expecting on a daily basis for the past few weeks, but it's not being yet published in the official Gazette. So we're gonna discuss a little bit about what this means for this uh, specific topic. So um, the miscellaneous tax resolutions for uh, 2001, 2021 have now included these new documents. And these new documents uh, pertain to every actor that participates in the transportation chain in Mexico. So we're talking about here that this reform and these new documents have a bearing and a certain burden on shippers, on the owners of the products, uh, on the, the uh, intermediaries at some length, and on the carriers, the actual transportation service providers and the transportation service providers of any mode of transportation within Mexico, being air, maritime, road, or rail. Uh, and these documents will need to be issued for every move that occurs in Mexico prior, for, prior to that move being initiated. So before the move is initiated, these documents need to have been issued and in place, and the operator actually has to have them uh, for the purposes that we're going to discuss. So we're going to dive in a little into the third anticipated version. And we're gonna talk about these new rules because these rules, when and if published in, in the official Gazette will supersede all of the previous versions. And actually these rules are much more detailed and better drafted and better, it's a better work than what we've seen in the first two versions. So, um, so we're gonna dive into these rules because these are most probably the ones that are going to apply. But I would like to also say that given that these rules are published in the miscellaneous regulations, we can expect that before the end of the year, there could still be a fourth resolution that uh, again changes the, uh, the rules. And actually it's, it's anticipated that there's gonna be more coming next year that will continue to establish certain uh, more detail around the, uh, the use of these documents as the authority continues to work with private sector uh, in determining the actual proper content of these, uh, of these rules. So it's important for, for all, of the, uh, all of you and all of the interested parties to uh, be up to speed and either directly uh, obtaining information as to the actual status of what these uh, uh, miscellaneous regulations mean, or surely through Carter, they'll have all of the information that, uh, that you guys require. So the intention of these, uh, of these new regulations is to, first of all, 
And this is, it's important to mention because it'll make it easier for us to understand why and how these new uh, uh, documents exist and why they need to be issued. So the first one is to verify the legal possessions of goods and merchandise while in transit in Mexico. As, uh, as in any other country, in Mexico, there's illegal cargo uh, that's being transported at any point in time, all the time. Um, and this illegal cargo is not necessarily only uh, illegal merchandise such as uh, drugs or, or whatever. It is, it is also merchandise that could have been stolen or merchandise that uh, could be counterfeit. Uh, so it all depends on uh, what we're dealing, but there's all, all the time there's, a, there's, there's illegal cargo being moved. And the uh, intent is to curtail this, this, uh, this, uh, this illegal cargo from moving uh, in, in Mexican means of transportation and uh, to actually document and inform the authorities of what cargo is being moved. And secondly, the other intent of this reform is to bring into formality the uh, transportation service providers. Uh, there's there's uh, several transportation service providers, more specifically uh, over the road, that are informal, and by that I mean they're not declaring their proper income or taxes uh, for the services that they render. And this uh, reform will make it harder for them to not invoice electronically their uh, services and therefore not to pay their, their taxes. So it's, it's a dual effort. And at the end, it's, it's, a, very, uh, it's a very good effort. It's, it's a good piece of legislation. The intent of this legislation is very, is very good to actually uh, obtain for the better of the commerce and for bettering the, uh, the transportation services in Mexico. However, what we've been facing is that this has been thrown out very uh, in, in haste and the, the content of the previous versions and also still in this one, as you will see, uh, still has a lot of opportunity to work on. And the only problem here is that uh, the implementation uh, dates of these uh, reform are upon us. And uh, we need to prepare with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of rules that are uh, not very uh, thought out still. I think that they, they still have need a lot of work. Also, there's a lot of effort right now uh, in lobbying groups to also, there's, there's a lot of legislation to, to legislate the private sector activity. All of these documents are, are uh, going to be uh, affecting the transportation service providers, the intermediaries, the owners of the cargo. But there's a lot of effort from the private sector to also uh, price on the authorities as to what they are going to be doing on their side over the road uh, to verify that the actual uh, verification of these documents takes place and that the consequences are actually uh, implemented for uh, those services that are not compliant, because otherwise uh, this could also just become a new tool for corruption uh, on the authorities over the road. So um, we're still working on these efforts and we believe that something will be accomplished with the authority, but, the, but this, this other part of the, of the circle has not been closed. It's still up there as to what are the tools that uh, the authority is going to be using for actual implementation and overseeing the implementation of the authorities on this. So the anticipated version of the third resolution of the modifications to the miscellaneous resolution of 2021, what does it do? Um, the first thing and the most important thing is that this document as an anticipated version at this juncture and before it's published in the in the official Gazette, it is still a document for information purposes only. However, the law establishes that whatever the tax authority publishes on their webpage uh, that contains benefits for the taxpayer will apply, even though it's not yet formalized as a as a law or published as a law. It's only been published in the webpage. So um, there's a few benefits that are out in this uh, third anticipated version. And even though it's only published in the webpage, these benefits actually apply for the taxpayers in Mexico. And as such, the first thing that actually applies is that the implementation date has been moved from 
September 30th, which already passed, to December the 1st as a trial period and January 1st, 2022 for the full complete implementation. As such, we have from now until January 1st to be ready with this implementation. This term that we have is already an extended term. So uh, at least at this juncture, we do not anticipate that there will be a second continuance. Uh, we believe that uh, January 1st is the actual date of the full implementation and we should be prepared by then. So th there used to be only in the prior versions one single rule, now there's several and the rules that are now published apply to specific types and modes of transportation. And they also now are targeting parcel and other uh, services uh, specifically with specific rules. And the intent of this PowerPoint to actually set out these rules. Uh, I believe we're going to share this PowerPoint at the end of the presentation. And if so, the idea is for you not to need to take notes or anything of the sort. This should work as a working document for you and your teams as to what applies and what you should be doing. So the first rule is rule 2.7.1.9. And this rule applies for uh, specifically for the transportation service providers. And it states that the transportation service providers need to issue a, an income CFDI with a complement bill of late. Okay. And this sounds like, okay, well, let them issue this. But what they need to do in order to be able to issue this complement bill of lading is the, the, uh, the concern. So that's, that's what we need to uh, understand. The complement bill of lading is an electronic form that requires for the carrier to input several information pertaining to origin and destination and products as any bill of lading would but several other information uh, that now is being requested. Any complement bill of lading can pass uh, anywhere between 50 to 160 uh, fields that need to be uh, inputted by the carrier at any given time. And uh, the intent here is that the carrier needs to have the information that the carrier requires to fill out the complement bill of lading and to be able to issue the CFDA. So in all, in all uh, practice, the situation that needs to occur is that the contractor of transportation service, and this is now an obligation that's established in this rule, needs to provide the necessary identification uh, information of the goods and merchandise that need to be uh, transported. Now, the obligation is for the contractor of the transportation services. So that can be an owner of a cargo that hires directly a carrier, or it can be a, an intermediary. And how does the contractor of the transportation service uh, provide the information to the carrier? Uh, it will do so through codes of products that will be provided by the tax authorities in their web pages. There's already uh, some information on this uh, available. And it's basically a code system such as it would for a, such as tariffs would do for, for a import and export. In this case, it's a separate code. It's not the same, it's different, but we need to identify every good, any merchandise that's being transported through these codes. Uh, so it's a work that needs to be done by the shipper of the goods uh, to make sure that they coincide with, uh, with the cargo. And this information needs to be sent uh, to the carrier for them to be able to fill out the complement bill of lading. Um, the carrier will input into the complement bill of lading all of the information of the shipper, the uh, information of the cargo, information on uh, the, uh, the carrier itself. The carrier needs to input its DOT authority, its taxpayer ID, information on the operator, information, specific information on the unit, the tractor and the trailer that's going to be transporting uh, the goods. Um, it, it's, it needs to be on every move, each of the information on each of these uh, uh, fields. 
input it into the complement bill of lading. And uh, it will be then that the carrier will be able to issue the CFDI of income, CFDI of income uh, that the carrier is obliged to issue. So at this point, the carrier has received the information, it has inputted into its system, it's issued now a complement bill of lading and an income CFDI. These documents need to accompany the operator before the operator starts the trip because they can be requested by the authority during the transportation or after the transportation took place, but during the transportation as well. So they need to be accessible to the operator either in a printed version or in an electronic version, which can be carried in an iPad, in a cell phone. Um, and at some, po some point, the intent is that these documents will be able to be transformed into a QR code. Uh, it's still not available that capacity, but it, apparently that's the intent. Um, and that QR code should be able to be read by scanners that the authority will have uh, at the moment of uh, inspecting. This, um, this, this information is going to include also this, as I was telling you, the income CFDI. And the income CFDI, which is very important, is the actual transportation service invoice. So this creates uh, an issue, a little bit of change as to how we are accustomed to receive the invoices of the transportation service providers. Uh, the invoices will be issued prior to the move, at least up to the current versions of the, uh, of the law. This might change, but that's how it's uh, structured at this point. Uh, and these invoices will be exclusively for the transportation service. It's very probable that then the carriers will issue separate service, separate invoices for other value-added services of loading, unloading, or demerges, or any other charges that the carrier might want to include, could be charged in a separate uh, invoice. But the CFDI will be already including the cost of the transportation service, and it will serve as the invoice already issued by the transportation service provider, even before the service is actually rendered. Now, it is very important to state that in order for this reform to have more strength, the authority has decided that uh, the contracting party of the transportation services is solidarily res responsible of, uh, the, of uh, the actual documents existing and being issued properly. So if there is a, uh, a transportation service that is rendered without the corresponding documents or the documents have errors, mistakes, or uh, information that's missing, both the contractor and the transportation service provider are responsible, okay? So you are responsible of what the Mexican carrier is doing with this information. Now, there's a new rule, 2.7.1.51, that talks about what the owners of goods and intermediaries need to be doing. This is, this is interesting. First of all, the, um, on, a, on a separate note for private transportation, and that, that's for companies that move their own assets and their own products and their own goods from one place to another with their own units, uh, they have a specific treatment in this rule. Um, and that's, that's a separate uh, discussion. But here, what happens is that we start to talk about the intermediaries. And the intermediaries in this reform have been all over. Uh, there, I believe there's, it's, it's been difficult for the authorities to actually understand the uh, role of the intermediaries uh, in general. Uh, and this comes a little bit because as well in Mexico, the intermediary space is a uh, non-regulated industry. The transportation service industry is very regulated, but the intermediary uh, industry is not. So as such, in Mexico, there's no specific regulation that, uh, that, that applies. And in this case, uh, the, the, the uh, definition of what the transportation services intermediaries need to be doing uh, has been difficult to, to land by the authorities. And this is because uh, as you can see in the second bullet here, 
the definition of what of, of when the intermediaries need to issue a transfer transfer CFVI and a complement bill of lading uh, is when the intermediary is providing transportation through its own means. And uh, that is really in Mexico an impossibility because the transportation that is being provided by own means can only be done by a transportation service provider that has the proper authority to perform these services. So intermediaries cannot provide transportation services with their own means. And as such, at least on this version, this third version, uh, the intermediaries do not need to issue anything. Even though there is an obligation established, uh, the, 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 it's, it's not perfected and the wording is poor. And therefore, in reality, this will not apply. So intermediaries at this point with this third version have no obligation to issue a transfer CFBI or complement bill of lading. It's, it's interesting because the second version didn't have the mention of their own means. So if we were, if we take the second version of the rules, the intermediaries would need to issue transfer CFBIs. And that's, that's a separate electronic uh, verification document. And this, uh, this document has separate characteristics. It's different from the income CFDI. Uh, the transfer CFDI, as you can see below, is issued at zero value because it's not uh, to be considered the invoice of the intermediary. It is just uh, a means of including information of the legal possession of the cargo through the intermediary and documented the intermediary as a contractor of the transportation services rendered by the carrier. Uh, so the reasoning behind having this transfer CFDI is good, but the wording is poor and it therefore puts us in a position through this third version to establish that the intermediaries are not obliged to issue documents. However, the other, the other obligation pertaining to uh, providing the uh, information on the cargo remains as contractors of the transportation services and the solidarity obligation of the intermediary with its uh, transportation service providers also remains to make sure that the documents of the carriers are issued properly. Now, this third version establishes differences and, and I think it's, it's also a good effort, still needs some work, but it establishes differences for uh, local transportation. So transportation that is done uh, inner city uh, or state roads, not federal jurisdiction roads. So when uh, we're faced uh, in, with local transportation, and this is important for, uh, for uh, you know, door-to-door -door between the same uh, company, the same two facilities that are very near one from each other and they're not touching federal roads and so on, then we do not need to have a complement bill of lading, which is very good because the complement bill of lading is very complex to, to actually uh, fill out the reallocation. So when we're doing moves in, this, uh, in the space of the local transportation, we are uh, not required to issue the CFDI uh, with the complement bill of lading. Um, so it, both the income CFDI of the carriers and the transfer CFDIs do not need to have a complement bill of lading. Now, when we go into parcel, and this slide is going to be almost exactly the same as this one over here for consolidated transportation. So we're gonna focus on this one. It's basically the same. Um, when we go into parcel, it gets a little bit more all over the place. And, um, and I think they're, they're gonna still work on, the, on, on this rule, I hope, because uh, it, it needs to be a lot clearer. But the uh, situation basically is when we have parcel we're gonna have one total service uh, on, on one single move, then uh, we, we can issue, we need to issue an income CFDI as a parcel service provider, but we don't need to issue a complement bill of lading. Um, 
Now, when we're doing first and last mile services, those pieces of the move do not need a complement bill of lading. In the income that the CFDI that, that needs to be issued for those pieces of the move is a transfer CFDI, not an income CFDI. And when we're talking about the middle move, when we're talking about the changes of means of transport that do not pertain to the first mile and the last mile, then we do need to have a transfer CFDI with a complement bill of lading. So I'm gonna leave this rule up here for this presentation just for clarification. And whenever you need to come to it, feel free, that's where you need, you'll find it. But uh, those, th that's actually what applies. Now, it is very important to state that the, uh, the benefit of not having to have a complement bill of lading applies as it would in the local transportation when the uh, parcel service is not being performed in uh, federal roads. So when we're touching federal roads immediately, then there needs to be a complement bill of lading. And for both situations, this parcel and the local, it, regardless of how much of the transportation leg is actually on federal roads and how much of it is in local roads, there's no consideration of a majority or an 80-20 or a percentage of any for, form or sort, any piece of uh, federal road makes it uh, necessary for a complement bill of lading to be issued. Uh, so it's important for us to, uh, to consider. And of course, if the parcel company should hire a transportation service provider for a move, an intermediary move, there will need to be an income CFDI issued by the carrier with a complement bill of lading. So same here. And we come over here. We are at the, we're going to discuss a little bit of what happens if we do not issue properly these documents. Keep in mind, the transportation service providers are the ones that are obliged to issue the income CFDI and the complement bill of lading. However, the contractors of these services are solidarily liable if they do not issue them properly or if they do not issue them. So the first situation that happens is that any payment made to a transportation service provider that did not issue the proper documentation or uh, issued the documents with mistakes, errors, or whatsoever, uh, become, becomes the payment becomes immediately non-deductible and value-added tax that was paid cannot be credited. Uh, and the situation is because at the end, this CFDI is the digital tax receipt of the service. It's, it's the actual invoice. So as such, if it's not issued, then it cannot be deducted because we don't have the proper documents to request the, uh, to make this payment deductible. So this is an immediate uh, situation that happens uh, and we need to be very careful uh, on these payments. Secondly, there's, there's penalties, okay, that can apply, uh, these apply per occasion. Uh, so they can be between 850 to $5,000 and up and below, there's an additional penalty that goes from 40 to $750, both per occasion. And it can be as, uh, as the, the, that's the, the realm of the, of the penalty. And in case that there's any repeat offense, the tax authorities can decide to close the establishment of the carrier for a period of three to 15 days. If there should be additional offenses after this situation, they can decide to close the whole, uh, the, the actual establishment uh, definitely. Okay, additionally to what we discussed as consequence, there's the possibility that if there should be any inspection over the road, of a specific move and the operator does not have the documents properly filled out or he does not have them, uh, the authority uh, can assume that there's been, that the, that the actual cargo is, uh, is, being, is being smuggled or that it's illegal. And as such, the operator will be arrested the cargo can be confiscated and the unit and the tra both the tractor and the trader can be detained. So it's uh, important 
for us to consider that this can actually affect the operation. And if uh, at any point you've been involved in any uh, seizing of cargo and stuff, it, it can be a very uh, cumbersome administrative process that we will need to have, the carrier will need to actually uh, provide all evidence that the uh, cargo is legal and that this was actually a mistake and everything. There's a burden of proof on, on the carrier uh, to actually uh, demonstrate that uh, everything was a-okay. So it's not going to be an easy process. And this is just uh, a situation that, that can occur. So then uh, we have non-deductibility, penalties, and detentions or arrest. It's important also to consider, and as a lawyer, I have to say this one, we need to look into our contracts and we need to look into our contracts with clients. We need to look uh, into our contracts with providers because there, there's specific obligations for each party of the, uh, the, the chain on, on the transportation service. Uh, and we need to set them out properly and we need to establish and, and, and manage risk uh, appropriately as to who's going to be obliged to do what and what's going to happen if that party does not do what it was intended to do. So uh, it, it's important also because, as we were saying, there's joint liability and we need to make sure that uh, everybody from a contractual perspective is doing what they need to be doing. So in conclusion, at least at this point, uh, and from now until the 1st of January, what we need to understand and do is the owners of cargo need to provide information on the cargo in detail. They need to provide codes of cargo as issued by the tax authorities. And this is for private transportation. They need to issue a CFDI transfer when they're moving their own goods at zero value. The intermediaries, when they are contracting carriers, they need, they're obliged to provide the carrier with the information on cargo in detail, and they need to provide the carrier with the codes of cargo as issued by the tax authorities. And the carriers, they need to fill out the complement bill of lading and issue the CFDI of income, which serves also as its invoice of services. So this is at least the information that we have up until now. Uh, we are uh, uh, through Carter at your service to anything that you might uh, need for clarification of, of, of the information. And uh, we're also ready to uh, answer any, any questions that you might have. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop sharing the presentation for us to be able to, uh, to discuss a little bit this information and to understand your concerns. I want to let our customers know that are on the phone what our processes will be uh, as we move through this fourth quarter. Um, first of all, what we have done so far is we have identified all the services for each customers that we perform. And we have identified all customers, all carriers that need to be in compliance with this law. So. And we have reached out to certain carriers already to gain what their readiness is. We will finalize that uh, process within the next month and a half. So I would say by Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving, we will finalize that process. Um, the plans are right now that uh, Augustine Viegas, who most of you know, who uh, is in charge of the Mexico operations, and I will be uh, going down to Mexico the week of October 18th, and there will probably be a follow-up meeting uh, in early November. And our goal is to meet with our customers which are in compliance or are very close to being on the path of compliance uh, that we have to make sure that we look at best practices and we can share those best practices with our customers. Uh, we are planning on having further meetings with the Cessna law firm at that same point in time to answer any questions that may remain outstanding after this phone call. From there, our plans are to um, make sure that we set up individual meetings with each of our customers to identify their readiness in this process and what they need to do to gain compliance 
with this and make sure that we identify the team at our customers that will be issuing these documents. Uh, so that will be done probably either the end of October, beginning of November. Same point in time, we will have carriers in conferences to make sure that they're that they're in line with the compliance uh, and that they will be ready uh, by December 1, the trial period. And then after that or during the same time period, I'll be working on the contracts and agreements and reviewing those documents. So I just wanted to alert you, there is a lot of work ahead of us at Carter as intermediaries. In the next two months, uh, we have a team that we have identified here that will be in charge of that and will be visiting um, our law firm and also our customers that are in compliance right now or feel like they're in compliance and that there will be due diligence being done to make sure that the readiness of the carriers uh, will be there once this um, law is effectuated. So I'm now then going to just open it up for questions that might be out there um, from our customers. Yes, uh, thank you. But some some of the questions that I received, um, you you already answered that is about the um, the what Carter is doing and what are the plans uh, from Carter in the following uh, weeks and months just to ensure that we're gonna be ready for January the first. So you already explained the uh, what is the um, the plan. Uh, other questions that, uh, I mean, there's a lot of information back and forward, and it seems that we were waiting for the final, um, uh, to, the, to the authority to, to release the final version. That is something that uh, did not happen as we expected. So some of the question is that, if, are we expecting more changes from now until it's being, um, uh, uh fully implemented or what is the expectation that, that that we have so i don't know if carlos if you can help me with that one sure um yeah we are um right now we have a second version that's been published uh in the official gazette which actually applies legally and then the benefits that are issued on the third version apply as well uh, given what we were discussing on the presentation. But we're expecting this uh, anticipated version of the third modification to be uh, worked on in the next few days and uh, published in the official Gazette. When that happens, uh, we'll issue through Carter information in that regard um, and to see what was the actual end wording of this uh, third modification. And there's rumor that there could be one more before the end of the year um, that but it won't really do more or, or just detail a little bit more of what this third version is doing. So what we discussed today is most probably what it's going to apply um, and then it's going to be perfected over time. OK. OK. Jo Jose Acosta wants to. Uh... Hi, yes. Uh, so is this basically the Carta Porta uh, um, requirements, basically, also? This is related to the Carta Porta requirements that had been, that had come out uh, earlier this year, right? Yeah, the document actually, Jose, is a, is, is a complement Carta Porte. So it's additional to the actual Carta Porte in the Carta Porte had some additional requirements uh, that were published, and those are already applicable right now. Those changes that uh, that were published this year at the beginning, kind of the first first quarter of the year. Uh, this is a, this complement bill of lading is an additional document uh, that's a, a a fiscal tax regulation um, that will need to accompany the digital tax receipts that, uh, that we discussed. So it's a, it's a new form and it's additional. It does not preclude the transportation service providers to issue the carta porte with the latest modifications. Thank you. Sure.
Jesus, I see you're raising your hand. Your hand. Jesus Flores, you're muted. We could probably go Leland. All right, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, yeah, we couldn't unmute ourselves. I guess we have to raise our hand first. Okay, <laughs> uh, before I start, yeah, I'm from Ford Motor Company. We'd like to thank um, yourself, Carlos and Dick, and the um, Carter Logistics team for inviting us for this informative uh, webinar. Um, the first quick question I had was, there was mention that the shipper, in this case, had to pre-notify or get a SAT number uh, prior to the movement and have that, or the carrier has to get that. Is that something that was a standard procedure or is that additional? And what do we think if it is new, does that impede the time now or planning of a shipment going out? That's that's a good question, Leland, and it's been and it's been out. It's it's a concern for the uh, the situation right now as it stands. Is you you don't need to have a tax ID if you're a foreign company. That's very important. Foreign entities are not obliged to uh, abide by the Mexican legislation unless they're operating here. So, uh, Ford Motor Company Mexico already has a tax ID. And the carriers already have a tax ID. If it was the if Ford US is going to hire a carrier or a, or or any move through an intermediary, uh, Ford US does not need to have a tax ID in Mexico. Okay. Now, regarding the tax IDs, uh, this this is basically the, the the tax number before the before the SAT is something that everybody already has, um, but only as for paying taxes. So it's not something that's going to be new um, and you don't need to actually obtain any registration to be able to uh, operate the uh, the issuance of these uh, new required documents. Okay, thank you. So the SAT represents a tax ID number. Yeah. The, okay. For you to be able to, to, to issue these documents, you need to identify yourself uh, as in, in in the complement bill of lading, and for you to be able to issue a CFDI, you need to be a Mexican company that actually tributes it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Sure. Gary? Uh, yeah, this is Gary with American Standard. Thanks for putting this together, guys. Uh, quick question, and my import and export department in Mexico may already have this, but uh, as the gentleman before was talking about, I had a question on the SAT code. So I'm assuming each product has its own SAT codes, and if so, uh, where, where are they getting these so we can get these electronically put in? Yeah, thank you, Gary. It's it's very important for this prepping to take place uh, on your side, Gary. You you uh, need to have your team uh, go into the web pages of the tax authorities of SAT. Uh, and these web pages already have uh, the codes up there. Uh, the codes still need a lot of work. There's a lot of uh, missing products and, and, and um, merchandise that are not actually in the code system still inputted. So uh, if you were to identify any of your goods that are transported in Mexico that are not within the code, you can actually uh, request the tax authorities to include them. Um, uh, and that's that's a separate process that can be done um, because this is new. This is a new code and you, you should be prepping right now to make sure that all of your goods that are moved in Mexico have their corresponding code and to start sharing this with your transportation service providers or your intermediaries uh, in order for the testing to start to take place and so on. Um, and in the case that you're doing import-export, uh, the information pertaining to the actual pedimentos also will need to be included in the CFDIs. So it's uh, for, for the international moves, that's information that will also be inputted in. Great, I appreciate it. Like I said, uh, our import-export department may already have this, but uh, thank you for explaining. 
Yeah, sure, Gary. They're published already. They, and check it out. If there's any situation where you, your products are not there, your team should be able to send a request to the tax authorities for them to include in the code and develop a code number for a specific uh, product that you're moving that is not there. Thank you. Sure. Mike? Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah. Hello. Okay, good. Thanks. Uh, uh, hi, Carlos. My name is Mike O'Connor and I'm with Ford Motor as well. I work uh, closely with Leland. Um, so uh, we're uh, doing our best to understand this uh, as well. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the requirement uh, for the owners of the cargo uh, in terms of uh, being required to provide in info. So my understanding of that would be, you know, the specified data fields uh, that uh, are applicable to the cargo, et cetera. Uh, but then there's also the note there that in that the owners of the cargo are also required to provide the codes. Um, and are these many different codes where essentially you you would have to take like uh, a code applies to a specific data field and it would be expected that the owner of the transportation would do that translation and pro provide that code to the carrier or is it expected that the owner of the, the transportation would provide the data fields and the carrier uh, ultimately would be the one that would do the translation to the required code Okay. There used to be no specific obligation, Mike, in the rules. Now, in this third version, there is an obligation for the owner of the cargo or the contracting party, which is important. If you're going through an intermediary, the intermediary is the actual obliged party. Uh, so the contracting party of the services needs to provide the carrier with information pertaining to the codes. And the codes are, let, let's say, this pen. I'm, I'm going to move pens. And this pen has a code number, which is uh, 4689. So 4689 is the code number for this pen, specifically the one that has press on and uh, things like that. Okay. So I need to share, I, what I need to do proactively is if I'm moving pens, I need to go into the web page and look into the codes, which is the, the terrible list of uh, information, make sure that I'm looking at the one that actually pertains to this type of pen and that I'm sending uh, this this uh, code before uh, this all is uh, implementable to my transportation service providers and intermediaries. Uh, and what happens is at, at any given point when I'm going to move uh, cargo, I'm going to tell the, the carrier, hey, for this move, I'm going to be moving eight crates of this dimensions, this weight, and this many pens of code 4687. So the, the codes are the ones that are going to identify the product, such as a tariff would. And then what we need to provide is specifically for each move, what we're going to be moving. And again, this goes prior to the transportation service actually even taking place. And at some point, you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's going to create a lot of uh, back office hassle to get this uh, in, in place on time. Otherwise, it's going to create a lot of uh, delays. And um, also another thing which is also taking place is that there's this is most probably, and that's where everybody's going to, it's going to become a technological solution. So the intent is at the end that uh, there should be uh, software, uh, process management softwares that uh, can assist the parties involved to move this information back and forth and be able to share it with the appropriate parties. Uh, there's a few companies already in Mexico that are uh, throwing out uh, specific software products that are uh, geared to manage these uh, this new process requirements. But that's, that's kind of like the uh, situation, Mike. I'm, does that answer your question? Well, I think somewhat. I guess I want to... You know, I, I understand that correlation, you know, that the product being shipped would have a specific code that like a tariff that would mm -hmm. relate to that 
that good. Uh, but uh, are there many different codes that are part of the Carta Porta based on the field in question? Yes, but the, 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 the actual list of codes, there's one. But yes, that there's going to be several depending on what uh, what you're going to be moving. And and I guess that in that was, goes back to my original question. So all of these several codes, uh, is it expected that the owner of the transportation uh, define all of these codes and provide to the carrier or? Is it expected that the owners simply provide the data and let the carrier assign the codes? I've seen it in 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 practical matters, Mike. I've seen it go both ways. Um, there's there's uh, there's shippers that are right now translating their uh, goods and merchandise into these codes so that they can provide it out, and there's shippers that are just sending out their products to their providers and telling them to please classify them. So. Uh, so it's been done. It's it's being done in both senses. However, what's what the law establishes is that the contractor of the services is the one that's obliged to issue this information to the carrier. So it, it, the legal part of it is that the uh, owner of the cargo should be translating this and and uh, sending already the prepped information to the carrier. Okay, and uh, and then the other uh, conversations that we're having, we understand obviously uh, Ford of Mexico uh, is the owner of the cargo. Uh, we understand that if Ford, say Ford US is the owner of the cargo and they're shipping a, an import into Mexico, it's being imported into Mexico, then just at the simple level, uh, this is still a requirement that uh, that uh, Ford would need to, to ultimately provide to the carrier. Correct. Okay. Because mm -hmm. even though Ford US is not going to be obliged by Mexican tax laws, what can happen is if the information is incorrect or is, or is not provided, the carrier can be inspected and the load can be seized if the information is not there and the documents have not been issued properly. Okay, thank you. Sure. Hey, Carlos, we'll take one last question. And if I if we don't get it, um, I'd like to kind of conclude today and um, just move forward and let let the people on the phone go, but also let them know that this is a very important topic and that if it's necessary to have follow-ups during this fourth quarter um, we will get with carlos to see if we can get some of his valuable time to provide updates in the meantime um, i would suggest to email additional questions we will be meeting with carlos in two weeks from now if there are major questions, I'd like to kind of look through them beforehand and maybe we can capsulize them for the audience today in our sit down meeting with Carlos two weeks from today or actually two weeks from yesterday. Um, any last questions or are we good to conclude this webinar? Okay. Well, Carlos, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Uh, customers, potential customers, uh, people of interest that are interested in the subject, thank you for attending and your valuable time today. And we'll keep you posted. Um, I think we've got everybody that was on the webinar today, at least identified by their emails. And uh, we will definitely keep you posted as we advance through this. Uh, Customers of Carter, we will get together with you uh, as the month of October, as we get into the month of October and as we get details of exactly this form and making sure that we're all in compliance from beginning to end. So thank you very much for your time today. Thanks again, Carlos. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Richard.
Thanks for listening to the Wheels in Motion podcast. If you have an idea for an upcoming podcast, please send your ideas to marketing at carter-express.com. Until next time.